Powell Chi is a Los Angeles-based real estate investor who does all his investing out of state. After buying his first investment property in 2015, a single-family home in Kansas City, he came to the realization that one door at a time was not going to get him to his goals. Since 2017, Powell has partnered on seven multifamily properties totaling over 1,000 units. As COVID-19 affected the U.S. in 2020, Powell shifted gears from multifamily and expanded his investments into self-storage. He closed on his first self-storage property in January of 2021 and is operating it remotely. In this episode, we talked to Powell about his start in real estate and why he quickly shifted into multi-tenant assets. The three main roles of a real estate and syndication team, a key difference between residential and commercial lending that challenges many investors making the switch, and how to build relationships with commercial real estate brokers that last. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash S-T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Pal Chi, welcome to the road to family freedom. Appreciate it, Neil. Super happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Before we get started talking about self-storage, can you, I want to get a high level overview of your journey into real estate. You got started with the purchase of a single family rental in Kansas City, correct? Yeah. So back in 2015, I started with a single family, single family house, right? It was a, I live, since I live in Los Angeles, all this was out of state. And I, that's what, you know, I was focused on was, was doing, um, buying properties out of state. And so this was my first one, single family house. Uh, you know, about a hundred thousand dollar house, and that's what kind of propelled me on to, you know, I would say pretty quickly after that, I, I realized that buying an individual house, you know, it was just gonna it's gonna be a long journey of of buying many individual houses and and the, and the process of going through that. I just decided I'm, I'm gonna need to scale up a lot faster. Yeah. All right. So, so and and you did. Uh, you went from that first single family purchase into a right into a forty unit in Indianapolis, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So right after that, I was thinking, you know what, I, I need to scale. So let me start looking at apartments and um, really got involved in that. Bought my first multifamily property. It was about, it was a little over a year later after my first single family house. And yeah, it was 40 unit apartment in Indianapolis. And then, yeah, just kind of continued to could build up the multifamily properties since then. Okay. And so you had, you went from that 40 unit to then a 61 unit, and then you started syndicating some larger deals on those first deals. Were you self-funding all those deals or were you being on partners? How were you funding those larger deals? Yeah, the very first one is self-funded, right? So it was just me. So when I went from uh, single family house to multifamily, I wanted to make sure I was just that if I'm going to go into new asset class, I want to make sure that I understand it. And I, you know, I'm taking all the risk. I don't want to just all of a sudden start bringing in investors. So it was really just me taking on all the risks, taking on the whole property. After that, a year later, when I did my second one, I brought in a few friends and family. So it was about six of us, five of us, and, and a friends and family, um, you know, the people that had seen me, what I was doing for the past year. And then after that property, it was about a year later, I started getting involved in the syndications. I realized that my network was growing and, I, and that's what I wanted to, was growing my network. But I, I really, I needed to, find more deals. And I was going at a pace about one a year. And so I needed to go either find more deals or find bigger deals. And so that's when I started partnering and getting involved in uh, five different syndications. So 2019 got involved in five different syndications, uh, general partner on all of them. And yeah, it's, it's, it was a great experience. You know, it's it great to be go from the you know smaller units of like a 40 unit, a 60 unit, then getting into the ones that are 100 plus, you know, 200 unit plus certainly made a uh, many good friendships and partnerships through that as well. So I know the answer to this, but I'd like 
to our, for our audience to hear it from your perspective, why you went from, you know, a lot of people when they're getting into real estate go, well, I want a hundred doors. That seems to be a magic number. A lot of people go for, you know, a hundred doors. Why didn't you continue to just scale, scale via short uh, versus single family homes? So why maybe I didn't scale the single family homes or was it more of why I didn't want to, uh, or why I moved away from multifamily or why, why I've done since multifamily. We'll get, we'll get to why you moved away from multifamily, but I just want to hear okay. why you, you know, why not just buy a hundred single family homes? The way that I did it in the, in the process of buying my first single family house, I, I really felt after I did it, I, I it was pretty successful. I, I bought it kind of under market value. It was appraised for a higher value, but I didn't really, I really got lucky. You know, it came down to it. I, I really got lucky. And, you know, I, I made some good rent along the way. I ended up selling it for a profit. And in a lot of sense, I felt like I was lucky. And I was like, am I going to be able to get lucky a hundred times in a row? I mean, that's, that's pretty, you know, it's going to be pretty tough. And so I was like, it's just not going to happen. You know, I, I need to get better at this, but I also not, I, I'm not going to count on just being able to get lucky and, you know, having to buy an undervalued place. And it, and it when I bought it, it appraised for more value than it was worth. And I just didn't think that I was going to be able to consistently do that. And I was not going to be able to consistently do that in one particular market, right? I was going to have to do it maybe 10 in one market and then 10 in another market. You got to hope that the other market performs well, and then maybe 10 in another market. And so I was just like, and this is going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of time to identify them. Then you got to fund it. And if I'm going to do a single family house, it's probably going to be by myself, right? It's probably, so I'm not leveraging any raising of capital or, or anything like that. So then I, you know, eventually you run out of money. So you, you, you know, you have to wait until you can build up enough money to put down the down payment. So in essence, I just thought it was going to be too slow, right? I got, I got lucky. That was going to be too slow. I just figured, you know what, it, it really to scale up better. I think it, it's, I'm going to have to choose uh, a different asset class. So that's why I went to multifamily. Gotcha. And that, that first 40 unit that you bought, do you recall what the purchase price on that one was? Yeah, that one was eight hundred and twenty thousand, and it's a commercial asset. So, mm-hmm. you know, was it? Um, it was still recourse, still probably a recourse loan because it's under a million dollars, yeah. correct? Yeah, bank loan. So it was just, you know, uh, basically, I, I went to a lot of my bank contacts, and my current bank contact was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll we'll lend on it." It happened to be that they actually they actually already were the lender on it from the previous seller, so they're like, "Yeah, we'll." We already know the property and we've already had it. So we can just lend to you on it. And even though I was a new buyer, it, obviously that worked in my advantage that the lender already knew me from a let from a, just a banking contacts, you know, perspective. And then knowing that this was new to me, they were still willing to, you know, take take sort of a risk with that. I just sort of bet on the new guy and 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 so that that was very helpful. And it was very fortuitous that it ended up being that it was the same lender that actually was already the lender on the property. It's something a lot of people, when they're looking to get into commercial real estate, that they they sort of forget. Uh, you know, it's with commercial real estate, it's asset based, not individual based. But the bank often wants to have somebody on the team that's experienced. They're not going to typically just go, "Oh, you owned a single family rental, you can manage a forty unit apartment building." Yeah, here, you know, we'll we'll loan you this money. So yeah. I think what really what was key for you was that you already had that relationship with the lender and the lender mm-hmm. was already familiar with the, with the actual asset, with the property as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and truthfully, in, ter- in the terms wise, they gave me a very, very short term because they were like, Hey, we can't, you know, we don't know if you're, how you're going to perform on this. So I had to do well within that sh- very short term. And then it was like, they didn't want to give me a, a longer term because they said, well, it was basically a one-year term. So they gave me a one-year term on this, right? Yeah, wow. one-year term. So I took it, you know, made sure that I was going to make make all my payments for that, that year, right? So, you know, certainly allocated all that capital to make sure I'm paying my, my lender on time. But then they, they said, okay, well, I said, can you give me a longer term now that we, you know, we've established this year? And they said, well, we can renew the loan. We'll just renew it for another year because you don't have two years of banking. You don't have two years of your tax history yet. So after you have two years, then we can get, get extend you to a, like a longer, like more of a traditional five-year term or, or something like that. So I had to go through two one-year terms before I got to that five-year term. But truthfully, they've been 
very easy to deal with. Besides that sort of early negotiation, it was, they've been very easy to deal with and, and have been great so far. Yeah. Well, the price of being the new guy. Mm-hmm. Typically, you know. Sometimes you got to bet on yourself, right? Sometimes yeah. you got to bet on yourself. It's like, hey, do I, would I tell anybody to go take a one-year term on, on, your, on your loan? No, I'm not going to tell you to do that. But, you know, sometimes yeah. you just got to bet on yourself and you feel like you can do it. And, and you know, you just got to, you know, do what you can. And gotcha. If that's the best option you have, you take it and go for it. I don't know. That's, that's for me. I just yeah. feel like I'm going to be able to do it. So. Yeah. And so you, you then from, you know, those early properties, you, you fund it self-funded, then you start bringing in some friends and family. Then you, you got into what five, five apartment deals as a general partner on the syndication side. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So five different syndications, general partner on those. And those are, you know, those are great experiences, you know, because, because you're learning a lot, you're, you're actively doing now, you know, you're part of a team now, right? You're not necessarily like, Hey, this is me individually or me as the, the point person. And, uh, uh, and this is now me being a specialist in a certain part of running a property and meeting other people who are very, very good at what they do. And they may maybe have a different, you know, a different responsibility or multiple responsibilities and, and gaining that experience from finding how did they do this? How did they, oh, that's different from how maybe I've done it in the past, but yeah, that's great. And, and you can see, and you can, formulate those good relationships with people. And, and, uh, I don't, it's, it's really beneficial overall. So in essence, you get a, you get a smaller piece of a, a lot bigger pie and, you know, that kind of all gets dot, divided up and, and, and things like that, but smaller piece of a larger pie, a different type of an asset because it's a larger asset. So it's certainly a lot of experience to be gained throughout, you know, all of, all of those things. And what was your typical role as part of the general partnership? Yeah, I would say by this time, I had, my network had increased significantly. Right. So when I think of apartment buildings and uh, commercial real estate in general, I, I feel like there's three main roles, right? There's, there's the acquisition side. There's the, the, the people that find the deal, put it under contract, negotiate uh, the lending side of it, do the due diligence, upfront capital, all that kind of thing. They do that. That's to me, that's acquisition. So that's the acquisition side. The next is really the capital side. Who's bringing in the money, right? Who, who has a network to bring in money, right? We need to raise capital for these deals. And the third part is the operations or the asset management. Like who's going to run this deal afterwards? Okay, we got the deal. We raised the capital. Who's going to run it? Those are all very, very separate skills to have. And it's not easy to be very good at all of them. Generally, people have a strength and, and find out what is their strength in real estate. So to me, my strength became my cap- capital side is raising capital. And that my network became very, very strong, very, very interested in, in real estate, very, very interested in and involved in one uh, to get deals. Secondarily, it's the deal finding. So it's the acquisition. So I would say my strength, number one, capital, uh, network sides. Number two is really finding the deals. Number three, that would be the third one is operations. It's not really me. It's kind of like budgeting and planning and uh, those types of things. Uh, maintenance, it's not really me. Um, I'm more on the other side of things. And how, where are where are these properties? They're not in Los. I assume they're not in Los Angeles. No, they're not in Los Angeles. And so I continue. Although I live here in Los Angeles, I continue to invest all, all over. So they are um, generally in, in fairly, I would say, secondary, tertiary locations throughout the United States. So I mean, Dallas, San Antonio, Phoenix, Jacksonville, Atlanta. So those are all. In addition to the previous ones I had in Indianapolis as well. So apartments kind of spread out all over because, because I'm not investing in my backyard. Like a lot of people I know concentrate on, on one location or maybe one or two geographic locations, maybe their backyard. They become very, very familiar with the area. They start to know the area very well. They know the streets. They know the neighborhoods. They know who's a good property manager. They have a lot more local knowledge than I do. And I don't have that local knowledge. But I'm able to spread myself out and kind of cast a wider net to say, hey, I can invest in Jacksonville. I can invest in Atlanta. I can invest in Dallas. I can invest in those things. So there is give and take with that. You know, I don't know, like somebody, I don't know the back of, you know, I don't know, you know, like some people have the back of their neighborhood. They know it very well. I'm not going to have that particular knowledge of one particular city. I'm going to have sort of a like a wider, a wider view of, of, you know, all those cities. It is another thing to remember when people are getting started out, they, you know, they maybe sort of learn about syndication the first time. I know this was kind of my, my experience was you go, Oh, syndication, you know, I'm going to run off and I'm going to do it all myself. And, and, you know, 
from finding the deals to, you know, to try and figure out what the business plan is going to be to the operations, to finding the capital and all of it. And I ran myself into the ground. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, syndication is very much a team sport. How did you go about getting to know or building that team? You know, it took me a little while. It took me a while to do that. So for the first couple of years of, of doing multifamily, I was really by myself or with, you know, a small group of partners. During these times, though, I had started meeting a lot of people. And like I said, my my network had increased significantly from people who wanted to invest to people who were already investors to people who are already syndicators. Now, just because I know you know a syndicator does not mean that you're necessarily going to be able to partner with that person, right? You have to be able to bring some value to that team. So a lot of it was telling the teams like, okay, well, finding somebody that, finding a syndicator that you relate to well, somebody that you feel like you're on the same wavelength with, right? That you you have the same sort of pace with, that you you have the same idea, the vision, right? Of the, of the property with. And that's not always true. I know that it's kind of something that people kind of say, but, you know, you, you, sometimes you can get involved with people that are very good people, but, but for some reason, you guys just don't, you know, interact as well, or maybe you just don't, you know, you just don't like each other as much, you know, you're very cordial and things like that, but it just, it doesn't mesh as well. So to me, it's like, I want to find people that I want to be around and I want to hang out with a lot and I want to learn from them. They want to learn from me that I can bring them value. And then that's the second part of it is really finding those people and then bringing value to them. Right. And in my case, I, I was saying I could bring value because I have a certain network of people, but I also have, I can help on the due diligence side. Um, and, and finding the deals and underwriting piece, but I can also, I know a lot of people and we can bring in some capital to the, to the deal. Right. So it really, that was what you, you know, that's why, how I found people. And it took a little while. It's not something that you just kind of say, Oh, that person's syndicator and hi, uh, you know, I want to partner with you. And, and they say, yes. And you know, I'm like, and you're off and running. It, it, it takes a while because you got to realize you're going to be in this deal for seven years, you know, or so you're going to be in there for seven years. You're going to have to like, talk to these people and hang out. So you want to, you know, be around people that you think that you want to have this seven year relationship with. Right. So yeah, you, you want to be very selective. And I would say that I got a lot better at asking those questions, the, the harder questions up front, and you want to get good at that. So if you're trying to partner with somebody, you want to ask those hard questions early on. And, um, and that was something that I sort of picked up as the more and more that I got involved with, with those teams. You know, you bring up such a great point and not just about partnerships, but also about raising capital is that if you're bringing someone in on a deal, if just as a passive investor, you got to realize that that's going to be a business relationship that you're going to be in with that person for at least the next five years, probably. And Mm -hmm. there are people that I've had conversations with, uh, and there are people that I know that are eager to invest and I wouldn't invest with them. Because I know we don't mesh well, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not a good fit. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be taking calls from that person once a month for the next five years. Mm-hmm. And so it's something very, it's very important if you are going to be getting into a business relationship with someone. And when you are raising capital, that's what you're doing, that you keep in mind that this is somebody you're going to be t- dealing with for possibly years. And, yeah, and it's okay. exactly. It, it, it does, you know, like at first, I think when people are jumping into uh, some of the business relationships or partnerships or, or raising capital, anything, you, you kind of like get any, whatever I can get, you know, like I'm so happy to get something, you know, but truthfully, you really, really should be a lot more selective of who you're going to, who you're going to bring on, who you're going to partner with, because it becomes a burden. It becomes something of like, oh man, I don't want, I just don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to ask that person that because they get mad every time I ask them this and then, or they never get back to me. And you know, you have these frustrations with, with people and that's just not who you want to continue to work with. Yeah. Right. So you, you don't want to get involved with them from the very beginning. Yeah. So yeah, having those early conversations, those early questions, I would tell you like one thing that I, I used to ask um, a lot of the syndicators when I was getting involved with them was kind of about the, uh, hard questions that didn't really have a great answer to. There was no great answer. There's no, you know, I, you could give me this uh, just straightforward answer that anybody could give you. It was, it was more about, okay, so if we're, you know, if we get caught in this situation, right, and we get caught in a bad situation, what are you going to do in, in this? What do you, what do you do in this situation? It's a, it's a bad situation. 
you know, you shouldn't have done this or we shouldn't have done that. Or you crossed over into what I felt was my boundary, whatever, something like that. What do you do to rectify the situation? And then you just kind of want to hear from them. What are their thoughts? You know, if their thoughts are, well, well, I think you should take care of yourself. Or if it's more like, well, I don't think it's a big deal. Then you're kind of like, I don't know if that, you know, if that problem comes up, I'm not, I don't think this person's the right person to solve that problem. But if they have a, a solution of like, I'm more for you. So if that really messed up, what, what you know, what our situation is, I'm more about a relationship. So I'm going to fix it. And, and I will make sure that you are taken care of and as, we, as we, your investor is taken care of. And if it hurts me, that's okay. I'll just kind of take the blame for that. And then I'll just make sure that you guys are okay. That's the kind of like answer you'd rather hear than, well, we'll deal with it at that time or that doesn't come up. We don't never have that happen. Or, you know, those, those kind of answers. Things are always going to happen. There's always going to be mistakes. There's going to be unknown, 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 unknowns that you're going to run across. And, and that's where, that's really where you really, really, really find what kind of people you're dealing with. I've known syndicators that have had deals go sideways on them and, and their first priority is to make their investors whole. And, and that really is what it's about, you know, because you, there's always another deal. If you poison a relationship with an investor, that's a much bigger deal. And that's a much longer tail on that. Um, so I always encourage people to, to find somebody you trust and find somebody who has, has maybe taken their lumps as well. Yeah. Great, great advice. Absolutely. So let's talk about why you shifted from multifamily into my favorite asset, which is self-storage. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was I, I explained a little bit about my philosophy about investing in state and not having necessarily uh, investing in my backyard where I, where I, what I know. Right. And when COVID hit, that really sort of made me take a step back because I don't have that background. I don't have that, that sort of on-site knowledge of each individual city. You cannot, you'd have a very hard time taking advantage of anything that people in that area were going to take advantage of. So if there was a distressed asset and, and it became even more distressed with COVID and that's going to go on and it's going to basically go to market right away, you need to be able to act immediately, basically on, on those type of properties that were coming up. And I knew that based on how I operate and how I'm set up, I was not going to be able to pull a trigger on something like that. I was just, that's not going to happen. So I decided to take a step back and say, you know what, just also because of a lot of uncertainty going around with COVID, right? There was a lot of, you know, eviction moratoriums and what, you know, stimulus packages and not people losing jobs. And then what, you know, and is this going to be over in two weeks or is this going to take two months or is this, you know, who knows how long it's going to take, you know? So there's all these uncertain questions. At that point, I was like, like, I'm not going to buy any multifamily. I know for six months, I just said, I know I'm not going to buy any for six months. So it gave me a lot of time to do something. So I was like, what am I going to do? And I said, well, my second favorite asset class at the time was storage. And I knew I probably spent 95% of the time on multifamily and 5% on storage, which meant I didn't really know anything. I just knew that I liked it and I heard about it. And uh, hey, I, I hear that it can be a lot easier to manage. That, that's about all I heard, right? And, uh, but besides that, I didn't know how to evaluate it. I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know, you know what makes a good thing or a bad thing. Or, you know, I just didn't know anything about storage. So I took that time to just dive into storage. You know, I knew it wasn't going to go into multifamily. So I just dove into storage, got as many free resources as I could paid for some um, education as well. And, you know, started finding, you know, sort of my path in storage. And then pretty quickly, I would say October-ish was able to, uh, you know, by that time I was, I was putting out dealers and try to put deals under contract and, and had an idea of what I was looking for. So I uh, put a deal under contract in October of 2020. And then closed it in January of 2021. So had it, I've had it for a little over two months right now at this point. Okay. So talk to us about that first deal. Where, where was it? What was the purchase price? Yeah. So in, in this case, uh, this is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right? And I would say what I did also is I, I didn't really tell a lot of people that I was looking at storage because I my whole background is multifamily. All my investors are multifamily. They, you know, I've been we've been doing multifamily this whole time, and we've been doing larger syndication, right? They're used to hearing uh, this minimum ten million dollar project, right? You know, ten to twenty million dollar projects. 
But I was like, I don't want to bring in all of my investors yet. I don't know if storage is really the right way to go. They say it's easier to manage. I don't know that. I need to, I need to find this out for myself. So you look at my history, it's more of like, okay, let's try to find something that I can either do myself or just have a small group of investors. So I brought over a small group of investors, mostly friends and family again, and people that have invested with me before. And I said, let's go take down a small deal. All right, let's go take on a smaller deal and find out about storage, really, you know, kind of get some track record before we start telling a lot of people about it. So deal size, so it's 175 units, it's 20,000 square feet, which, I mean, you know storage, it's not huge, it's not tiny, it's um, it's kind of in that middle range, um, 675,000, so that was a good price, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm happy with that price, um, especially when you're used to, you know, trying to raise, you know, millions of dollars and you hear 675,000. Okay. That sounds great. And so, yeah, that was the kind of, you know, just the initial numbers on, on the property felt really good about it. And, you know, was able to put it under, put it under contract, raise the money pretty easily um, just because, you know, like I said, it's not going to be a, a huge rage for us. And we had a lot of people that were interested, even though I was not telling a lot of people, uh, I still had a lot of people that were interested in, in investing and they, they like storage. And, um, you know, it just kind of went through the process. I would say the hardest part about closing the deal ended up being the lending side of it, right? Because the lenders, I thought were going to be very like, hey, you did a bunch of multifamily and you're involved in the syndication. You've, you've done all this. Yeah. So, you know, we understand and you could, you know, we'll, we'll lend to you. It was more like, well, you haven't done anything in storage and we don't know that you can do anything in storage. And I was like, well, okay. Yes, we are going to buy a value-add property. So it's not going to be 90% full at market rent. No, this is going to be somewhat of a turnaround, right? It's going to be a project. And they're like, well, you've never done this in storage before. So we don't feel that comfortable lending to you. And I was like, really? Well, okay. I thought it would be a little more open. I thought there'd be more multifamily lenders that were interested. Because I, I reached out to most of my multifamily people, right? I, I, reached out to them first. My, those are the contacts I had. I thought they would be a lot more interested. And at first they were, but they all said they were. And then the lending sort of dried up really quickly. I was like, they're not that interested. They just tell me they are just because I want to hear the deal, but they're not. I have to go find storage lenders. And um, so it was a whole different process. So I would say that was the biggest learning curve and the sort of the biggest obstacle, not a huge obstacle because it could certainly get, you can certainly overcome it. But that was the, I would say, the the most difficult thing that that we ran into, really. How did you solve that ultimately? I mean, you, ultimately, you you had to reach out to some other lenders. But how did you assuage their concerns over your lack of experience? Mm. I, I did it. What I think is the best way is that I just raised the capital. I found, uh, like, I know people, so I reached out to a private lender and I said, "Hey, I'm about to go to another lender and pay them this much." and you know, pay them this much uh, to close this deal and I could pay you. It's not, the, you know, obviously it's, it's not a huge amount because we're talking 675,000. So in terms of lending size, it's not gonna be a, a you know, I'm not asking for a huge loan, right? Yeah. So it's not out of the ordinary to, I guess, to, you know, to throw that amount. And so I found people. So I found somebody and they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll lend it to you. They, they know me and we have a personal relationship. They're very familiar with the property. They, you know, visited, they, they understood it. So. They're like, yeah, I, I like your, I like your plan. I like what's going on. Um, I like this, so I'll just I'll I'll lend you the money, and then you know we'll just go from there. We'll just keep it at like a shorter term loan, so under five years, and we'll just keep it under five, and you finance you finance me out, and you know, get the money back. So, how much money did you have to come to the table with? How much down? I had to come with probably about thirty. I would say probably about thirty, maybe maybe the higher thirty five percent. I can't, I don't remember exactly, uh, gotcha. but like 35% down. Uh, and that was off of a capital raise, correct? Friends and family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Friends and family. Well, again, you know, it, it brings up the great point, which is that, you know, commercial lending is asset based, but again, you know, it, it comes down to experience or relationships and, you know, mm -hmm. you, you didn't have the experience. So you ended up having to leverage your relationship with an existing lender. Um, mm -hmm. If you, if you didn't have that relationship with a private lender, what do you think you might have, what would have been your next step? My next step, um, I would have gone, first I would have gone to a conventional bank. So I would have went to a local bank and got the lending done there, right? 
So I could have got a, I don't know, a five year, 5%, 20 year amortization, either partial or full recourse type of loan, right? From a, from a local bank. So I think it could have been like that. I could have done that. Um, if it would have came worse to worse, I could have just got a hard money loan and, uh, and close it with a hard money loan. And then again, plan to refinance that out in a couple of years. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so those are my two options. And it's really the conventional bank, hard money loan, or, and then I decided to go with a private lender instead. You know, it's a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot easier, a lot faster. And when it comes down to it, truthfully, between my investors and people in my network and, and say my private lenders, people that I know personally, I'm like, who would I rather have make some money? My friends? or an institution. Yeah. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So I'm like, you know, gotcha. Easy, so, easy choice. So it was a bit of a, you said it's a little bit of a value add. It's a little bit of a turnaround. What, mm-hmm. um, where, where was the opportunity? Yeah. So the, the major opportunity I think in this was really the, the management side of this property. So property itself when we took it over was, uh, 70% physically occupied, 65% economic occupancy. So significant gain there are gains to be had right there, right? No insurance. You didn't have any insurance, uh, on any other tenants. Um, they did have an onsite person. Um, although that onsite person in terms of the management of this, sometimes you take over mom and pop type of properties. And this was, this was one of them where you, you take it over and the, the way that they managed it, they just had a, uh, they had an on-site manager, but then on-site manager was only there half day. So part-time, like one to four, Monday through Friday, couldn't rent on their website. So you go to your website, it's still it's information, but there's no ability to rent. Phone calls are only taken from one to four, Monday through Friday. So if you're not renting from one to four on Monday through Friday, you basically don't have a chance to rent, right? There's, yeah. there's no online service to do that. So for us, it all comes down to the management of it, right? We, uh, we don't need an onsite person, you know, it's not, we, so we eliminated that payroll cost, right? So we don't have that. Uh, we are able to, uh, get a good website, a working functional, aesthetically pleasing website, something that, uh, and then we have a call center, right? So we do pay for the call center. So we have those things that basically increase the hours that somebody could rent the, the unit also increase our presence. And that's a, you know, that's how we're kind of handling the, the property. So, our strategy really is to go completely 100% unmanned. So anybody can rent uh, a unit from their phone or from calling uh, the uh, call center and uh, get a unit, get a gate code, go right in. And we have a lock uh, for them, like sitting inside of their uh, their unit. They grab that lock, they put it on, they're good to go. They, you know, they paid with a credit card, they signed the lease digitally, good to go. So that's, that's what our plan is. So increase the... Increase the occupancy, certainly increase the occupancy, add things like just, uh, insurance, cut down on payroll, um, and uh, you know reduce some of the, the costs for the, just the overall expenses on the property. Right? So we don't need water, electricity very low. Yeah. We, we just need you know, re- reducing amount of the utilities. Gotcha. Well, one of the, what I love, so what I so love about storage is the number of value add opportunities there are. I mean, everything from, you know, adding insurance to just, you know, professionalizing management, professionalizing your marketing, reducing the friction between, you know, a customer and, and a purchase decision. You know, I mean, it just blows my mind that somebody has been operating a facility for however many years and they're only open from one to four Monday through Friday. You know, mm-hmm. um, when yeah. somebody's shopping for storage, they're going to pick up the phone or they're going to pull their, pull out their phone and, and browse and, and they're trying to make a decision right then and there. It's not like somebody looking for an apartment where they're, they, they're like, they're going to keep looking. They're going to call and if they can't reach you. They're going to go to the next one that's, you know, a mile down the road. And it's just, a, yep. it blows my mind that, that, that people try and do business this way. Yeah. And, you know, with, with, with COVID happening and everything, it's just increased the amount of like acceptance of things being unmanned and not needing somebody in the office. So for us, it kind of fits all that perfectly for, you know, what our strategy is. And, and yeah, you can find properties that are, like you said, you know, that you think that efficiency in their management can be certainly improved and that can really help your bottom line. That's, that's a great thing in storage. Absolutely. Gotcha. Uh, is there, 
is there any room to expand or is it landlocked? Uh, it is landlocked. There is, uh, I would say, not a ton of room to expand. We just were on a call earlier today talking about that. So we have anywhere from maybe 2,000 to 2,400 square feet, rentable square feet that could be added. So we're examining that now. We're also de defining whether or not we want to turn that into parking spaces or maybe parking spaces is phase one and then the storage is phase two. Just a little bit of what we're talking about right now. So Right now, we're in plans of the expansion, but it's not a it's not a ton of expansion, right? So you're you're just talking a couple hundred feet this way, a couple hundred feet that way, you know, putting the fences up, but not uh, not a lot of land or anything. How did you find the deal? Yeah, people ask me that all the time, but it, you know, for me, it's always been broker relationships. I've always gone through brokers. Now, I'm not saying that's the best way, or I'm saying the the only way. Uh, I've certainly learned that there's there's many different ways, but. When you're in multifamily and you're buying a 100-unit, 200-unit property, it's very difficult to be sending out yellow letters to what you think is an owner who may be interested in selling that property, right? It's, it's more likely you're going to go to a broker, and the brokers are going to have all those relationships with all those uh, properties being sold at that price. So my whole background has always been with brokers and all the broker relationships. So this is this is no different, broker relationships. Um, you know, it's... That's how I found them. That's how I've had success. I wouldn't say that's the only way that I'm going to have moving forward in storage. Storage can be a little bit different than say the larger syndications uh, that I was doing in multifamily. So I think there will be opportunities to do uh, more off-market, um, you know, uh, letters letters on my own. But for right now, it's all been it's all been brokers, and uh, and it's and it's going really well so far. You know, I still I still got a good amount of momentum right now. And how and how would you you know if you were starting from scratch? Uh, and you sort of did you, I mean, although you had some experience dealing with brokers and multifamily, um, how would you go about building those relationships with brokers? Um, yeah, it's good. It's a great question. So one of the, one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, you need to take the relationship very serious. And usually the way to do that is to be very fast with your communication and, um, and give them, you know, you have to, sort of, you have to respect their profession. They're, they're trying to sell, and they get paid when they sell a property, right? So, and you don't want to delay things. So that means if they send you a property, um, you you want to get back to them as fast as you can. So within 24 hours, you want to get back to them why you do or do not like the property or what you need to see more or why you want to pass on it and why you want to move forward with another deal. Um, so I would say respecting their profession and understanding that, hey, they're 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 there to, to help you and, and they're trying to help you get a deal. And, and you need to take that. You need to take it seriously that, Hey, when they send you something, even though it's not what you want, you don't just go dark on them and never say anything. You want to get back to them within 24 hours and say, Hey, you know, truthfully, it's just not my, my type of deal. The way that we're going to manage it, it just doesn't seem like it's going to fit. It's probably a little small for me. The second thing you got to ask it always is, but what else do you have? Like, what, yeah. What's the other property? What else do you have coming up? What's uh, you know off market that you have? And so you can kind of dismiss that first one at the same time that you're telling them, hey, I'm interested in something else. So it's not just a conversation of, I don't like your stuff. You know, what you sent to me is junky and it's and it's uh, overpriced and hang up the phone and that's it. It's like, yeah. you know, like, let's continue the conversation. I don't have to get emotional about it. You don't have to get emotional about it. Yep. Neither, I'm not going to go buy that property. What else do you have? Let's 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 work on something else. Well, it's such a good point. And so many, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. Somebody sends me a, a deal and it's like, ah, that doesn't work for me. And I don't say anything. I, they just, they send it to me and I don't reply back. Hey, thanks for sending me that deal. Thanks for thinking of me that here's why I'm, here's why I'm not interested because what that one, it keeps the relationship going and it also gives them a better idea of what it is that you're looking for. And it keeps, mm -hmm. keeps you top of the mind for when that kind of deal does come along. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, like I said, and just finish it with the second part of like, even though that's not what I'm looking for, this, uh, you know, what else do you have? You know, show me something else. Like, what else are you talking What else have you heard about that's yeah. coming out? And, and then you can talk about those deals as well. Gotcha. So you're going unmanned with this facility. What kind mm -hmm. of you've got to have some boots on the ground to handle, you know, unit turnover is pretty minimal, but there does need to be somebody to put locks in the deals, uh, in the, in mm -hmm. the, uh, units. And, you know, if somebody, yep. you know, you gotta have somebody to put overlocks on, if there's non-paying, what are you doing for boots on the ground? 
Yeah, so we do two things, I guess, for boots on the ground. Um, first thing is that there's somebody within our team that is boots on the ground that they live, you know, say within 100 miles of the of the facility, right? So there's somebody on our team, and that person is going to be boots on the ground to watch over kind of what's going on. Now, they're going to. Uh, we have some projects like the expansion, or they're talking to the city about you know uh, widening the perimeter of, of our fences. So we have people that are on our team that do that. Um, they're not necessarily putting locks on. They're not cleaning out lock, you know, the units or anything. We hire a, a maintenance staff. So we contract out a maintenance uh, person who will be there to, uh, that's their job. Their job is to, hey, you know, uh, one, once a month, they go through and, you know, these ones are all late and aren't paying. They go and overlock them, right? They, this one, these ones have moved out. They go there, they check the unit, they sweep it out, they pick up garbage. They let us know if, hey, the light is out these lights are out or, you know, something happened, somebody hit the, the fence or, and it's dented here or something, anything like that. They, they let us know. So, I mean, just recently with all the freezing cold that went on in the, in the sort of the South. So our maintenance person told us, say a pipe burst in, in the, in our office. So there's a water leak in our office. Well, fortunately we're unmanned. So what do we say? Please shut off the water and shut it off at the main and don't, we don't need water anyway. So, you know, just, you don't need to fix it just turn it off right and so that's what we that's what we told her but yes i mean that's you you do want to have somebody there that is going to uh, be addressing those and be there to have some eyes on the on the property and yes you'll want to contract somebody out to, to do that gotcha. what was it that attracted you to this particular deal what was the opportunity that you saw you know it, it kind of fit a lot of the things that i wanted right it it, it wasn't a huge deal Right. It was kind of in that moderate size. It wasn't so small that I would would have to manage it myself. Right. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want something that I was going to pick up that was 50 units and you know that I was gonna to have to manage myself because you can't pay for a third-party property manager is too small. Um, but it's not so big that I'm maybe biting off more than I can chew in terms of raise from a bunch of people who are used to me in investing in multifamily and they're wondering how why are you investing in storage now? Why what, what's going on? You told us storage uh, multifamily was great for all these years. Now you're telling me storage, but you know, so I didn't want to, so it wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. It had value add, right? So it wasn't a property that's purely stable and there was no upside. It had actually a great amount of upside. Uh, the area, so Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I mean, you know, it, it, I would say it's like a hot market. Everybody's trying to buy in there. It's not Dallas or anything, um, but it's a, it's a top 100 city in the United States in terms of size. So it was a good size city, somewhere that I could fly into fairly easily. And felt comfortable because it was in, in, inside of a good area of Baton Rouge. So it's like an up and coming, uh, nice city of Baton Rouge. And so felt good about that. And also it's uh, the competitors. There's not that many competitors within that three mile radius, right? So you look at the square foot per capita. It's one of the major things that, um, you know, I look for. It's like, what does the competition level look like? And, and the square foot per capita for that area uh, for this property was about four, like was it, was it four? So with the natural average being around like seven and a half, this was significantly under undersupplied in that area. And knowing that it's growing even more with nicer, nicer houses, nicer neighborhood, this makes us feel better about being in there. And then truthfully getting it at the price point that we're getting at when you're getting it under, I don't know, we got it at, um, so what, like 30 to 30 something dollars a square foot, right? In, in terms of like competition level, somebody's going to have a hard time coming in and buying and then building um, something for under thirty dollars a square foot, so you're limiting amount of, you know, amount of uh, competition that you know could come in there and start to you know sort of dilute your your uh, population. Right? Gotcha. So, what's next? You've got the one deal under your belt. Mm -hmm. You're you're working towards stabilizing that. Are you looking to acquire more? Have you acquired more? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so the, the process is right now. So I, I would also say I, I shifted a little from syndication. So I'm not necessarily syndicating anymore, and not necessarily looking to syndicate inside of storage. Um, I, I am my, I would say criteria are properties that are in that one to three million dollar range, and that in that one to three million dollar range, I know that I can within my network can bring in uh, joint venture partners, and we can joint venture this deal. And I can have enough joint venture partners that we have enough capital to take down these one to $3 million deals. I can do it with about, you know, a small group of us and, and it could be a lot tighter of, uh, 
but tighter of an operation because everybody knows each other and everybody's involved. So I would say that nowadays, my network is not just passive investors, right? It's not just, hey, I got a bunch of passive investors and they and they all just want to invest passively. They don't want to do anything. My, my network isn't that anymore. My network is really people who love real estate, people who, who love you know multifamily, single family. They love all, all different types of real estate. They uh, want to be involved more. So they, they want to actually be involved in, in, in what's going on. Some of the some of the decisions, some of the, the planning, they want to be involved early. They want to get involved in the due diligence. They want to hear about the contract. They want to hear about everything that's going on, the property management. They want to learn more, right? These are all people. And they also have some capital, right? And so I'm bringing these people together. We're all going in and buying these one to $3 million properties in a joint venture, not a syndication. And then I'm giving them a lot more exposure to the actual deal. So when you're asking like what, what kind of deals there are, what's, what's happening next, I actually have two. I, I got a, I got an executed LOI on a deal yesterday. So I'm working towards a, a deal. Um, and that was a little, that was a bigger deal. So in that two, two and a half million dollar range. Um, so actively working on getting the PSA and getting that deal uh, under contract and, 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 you know, working towards that. And then I got another executed LOI this morning. So I have another deal that I'm working on to, um, and that one's about that, and that was sort of one and a half million dollar range. And so actively working on that one. And a lot of the people that are involved in my deals, they get involved from the very beginning. So my, even though I'm the first one, the two and a half million dollar one, where I got to execute LOI right now, my team is already set. I already have my team because they already, they've already been involved and they already like they're, they see the contract negotiation. They're already like, they're understanding about the, you know, what's going on with the property. So they get involved very, very early on, which in a lot of other deals, when you're kind of uh, like a co-partner or JV or a, a you know, co-GP or anything, it's really tough to get involved that early on. And so that's, that's something I like to do is bring, bring those people up. So I would say that, you know, trying to expose all of the people to as much exposure to the deal as possible, as well as teach them and have them gain experience so that if they want to go do this on their own, hey, that's great. I'm not, I'm not here to stop you from doing it on your own. You can go do it on your own. You picked up some skills. You picked up some experience. You picked up good contacts to go just do this on your own. If you like the way that we operate, you like us, then hey, we can go do more deals together. But uh, you know that's kind of that's so that's the plan. So eager and excited about two other deals that that uh, you know these you know I don't I don't have under contract yet, but executed LOI, so I'm moving towards that. Um, and yeah, eager to, to like be part of these you know put form together these teams and, and get out there and, and, uh, excited about, you know, executing our plan with these. Gotcha. So I want to ask two more questions before we wrap it up. I want to dig a little bit deeper in how you structure these JV partnerships. Cause I think that, you know, I think partnerships are such a powerful tool. Um, but they're also, they're a double-edged sword and mm-hmm. I'd like to sort of get your read on how you go about structuring it so mm-hmm. that I assume you're doing this with people who you're friends with, how do you stay friends? You know, I've never, I've never had that issue, truthfully, um, because a lot of people also like, hey, you know, you invest with your family, isn't that kind of you know a little kind of awkward? Maybe you have these kind of weird things that you don't want to talk about money with them. I, truthfully, I've just never had that. It's just never come up. I, I so I, I wouldn't say I've overcome that problem um, because my family has always been very open and very wanting to deal with each other and if it's money and investing and and it's all about the family, not necessarily about whatever, you know, I, I didn't get my 5.3%. I should have got, I, you know, I should have got 5.3. You gave me five, whatever, you know, it, it hasn't really been that way. I feel with my friends. Uh, I mean, the way that we're investing, I just feel that like we're as open and transparent as, as really we can be. And we have the hard conversations again, upfront. So I'm, I'm telling them that there are certain things that, Hey, you, you're, you're going to do, you're going to get experience for, you're, you're, you're involved in, but you don't have to do that. Understand that I'm not asking you to do that because either you're going to get paid for it or you're going to get more equity for it or anything. It's more of like, hey, this can give you more experience, but understand my team itself can handle that. We'll do it. But if you want to, if you want to gain more experience, let, I'll, you, know, you can take on this task and, um, and do that. Now, you don't have to. Like, and, I, and I don't make anybody you know, have to do that. But at least from understanding point of view up front, they know that, hey, this is really just for me to gain experience on an actual deal that I'm in that is live, that affects, has a great effect on the property. 
that I'm investing in, I don't have to do it. I, you know, if I don't have time, then the Powell's team will do it. Um, but he's asking me to give me some experience. Now, uh, knowing that I'm, I'm not necessarily like going to do it because I'm going to get paid more or because some, there's equity down the line or I'm getting part of this money. It's not that. It's really like, hey, this, this is, you know, and they know that up front. And you get in these kind of cloudy situations. If you get in that cloudy situation, it's like, well, I thought I was getting paid and you told me to do this. And, you know, why, why am I not getting, you know, money for that? Or why? Then it's kind of like you didn't have those conversations up front. To, to let people know what the situation is and give them a choice of what to do. Right now, you kind of waited till the end, and you have this. Now you have awkward conversations with people. So maybe that's the way that I try to make sure that we're, we're still friends, right? And obviously, upfront, I am friends with all these people, and I and I try to let them know, you know, what, honestly, what's going on, and, and involved early, whether it's good or bad. You know, sometimes uh, this went bad, this is good, or you know, let them know what's going on so that they're involved and. It's not a big surprise, um, you know, for either or misunderstanding. You know? Gotcha. Okay, so this is you, this is your full time job, pretty much. Are you? You do have another W two job? It's I not. do have. A, I have a day job. So okay. Yeah, my my day job. So this is all around my day job. All right. So how much time would you say your self storage endeavors now are taking you per week? Oh, let's see. I would say. Um, I wish I could give you a straight answer, just a, a definite answer, but I would say anywhere from 15 ish, maybe like 15 to 20 ish, somewhere around there. Hours a week. Something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Final question. This is one we've been trying to ask all of our guests. If you had $50,000 that you had to invest in the next 90 days, uh, where would you invest it? And what kind of return would you be expecting? I, I kind of feel biased in that I feel like I'd invested in my deals, but um, I would invest it in my deals. I'll just say that. Like, uh, okay, I, and you could put asterisk there. He's biased, uh, but okay. What I what I would say is like it, the storage deals that I'm that I'm in, and, I, and I'm still in multifamily deals as well. However, what I'm looking for are what are what I call home run deals, and the way the way that I define a home run deal is a deal that I can comfortably project that I'm going to be able to refinance this property within three to four years and return a hundred percent of my investors capital. Okay. That's what I consider a home run deal has to have enough value add in order to do that. Now I'm not finding those deals in multifamily that often. They're very hard to find now. Uh, I mean, I think you could have found more previous years, but right now it's pretty difficult to find that in multifamily. I'm finding more of those in storage. And so if I had $50,000, to me personally, I'm thinking, okay, well, I put it inside this deal. I feel very comfortable that within three to four years, uh, there's going to be a refinance. Uh, there's going to be a return of 100% of my capital. Plus, there's going to be distributions along the way. And, and if I'm inside of this deal and we refinance in four years and we hold on to it for another 10 years, then basically on all those returns, you know, I don't have any more money in the deal. It's kind of an infant return game, right? At that at that point. So that's what I think is kind of like an awesome, you know, like kind of outlook. Now, I would say, even though kind of in a long way, even though I am looking for those type of deals, I do not show that on my pro forma, like that my pro forma for my investors, and they know this. They, they, I, I'm a very upfront with them. Like on my on my pro forma, I'm not going to show you an infinite return, all right? Because I'm not going to say that's what I'm projecting. I'm going to show you a straight zero to five year sale, no refinance, so that you can compare this deal to. A multifamily deal, a retail deal, whatever it is, I have a zero to five year sale, straight sale, what the return looks like. And if you're comfortable with those numbers, okay, we're going to try to hit better. And we think you can comfortably project that we are going to hit better, but at least we feel like, you know, we should definitely be able to hit these, these numbers in a five year straight sale. So, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I, I know I kind of ran, went off no. a couple of different tangents there, but yeah, that's where I would invest my fifty thousand, and uh, I guess it, it, there's you know. no there's no wrong answer. I love I love your answer, and I get I, it's now one of my favorite questions because I'm getting such a, a, a variety of answers from people, and mm -hmm. and my answer also would be I would invest in my own deals, but um, I, I think you there's a great point you bring up too is which is about not promising that refi. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's not something you want to do. There's too many things yeah. that can happen 
you know, if it happens, that's great. You know, you're going to, you're going to do it. You're going to have an infinite return if we're able to get all your capital back, but um, don't, don't yeah. go in promising that to your investors. For sure. For sure. And, and yeah, we're very, very, you know, we want our investors to be excited and be excited about the deal, but not excited about trying to hit those particular numbers. We want like, Hey, this, you know, these are the five-year straight sale numbers. You can take a look at it and feel like if you're comfortable with that and compared to what your other options are, um, and you're excited about it, then, you know, we can move forward if, if, you know, but don't count on the, you know, the, the hundred percent refi. Yeah. yeah that's pretty, gotcha. that's definitely, you know, like a, that's why I consider it a home run. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Pal Chi, thank you so much for sharing with us today. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you and find out more about you and what you're up to, what would be the best way for them to do that? Sure. I would say, you know, they can email me. So my email is Powell at multifamilymasters with s.com. You can email me there. You can uh, become friends with me on Facebook. I would say if you're friends with me on Facebook, it's just my name, Powell Chi. There's, there's, I don't think there's any other Powell Chi on Facebook, which is, you know, there's billions of people out there, but so search for me, uh, Powell Chi, and, and then you can write me a message in there. It's probably a, a faster way than email. I just get inundated with so many emails that it's hard for me to respond to every, every email instant, instantaneously. It's a lot easier for me over uh, an instant message or, or uh, those type of things. Okay, yeah. great. Well, thanks again, Powell. All right. Appreciate it, Neil. Had fun. Thank right. you very much. See ya. Okay. That was Powell Chi from multifamilymasters.com. I, I encourage you to go check him out uh, if you have an interest in storage. So for me, the key lesson learned here was that you experience matters in commercial real estate. You know, you can, um, it is asset based. And so you, a lot of times you're not having to put your, your credit on the line or, you know, it's, but it's, it also lenders going to want to see experience, whether you're doing multifamily or storage, any kind of commercial asset, they're, they're making a bet on the asset, but they want to know that you're going to take good care of the asset and that you know what you're doing. So either build relationships with lenders who trust you or, uh, come to the table with a really good business plan. I encourage you to, to research, you know, self-storage business plans, um, or find, find a partner that's got experience and find a way to, you know, bring them deals. Um, and that's really, uh, that's how you're going to assuage the, the nervous lender knowledge. He, again, he, he spent a lot of time once he decided to make the shift, he started just digging into storage. He, he did, you know, he got a hold of every free piece of content that he could. He, he paid for a little bit of a mentorship. And the, I would say the key piece of knowledge is sort of what I, I just talked about, which is that even though he came to the table with a lot of experience doing multifamily, a lot of lenders didn't want to talk to him, you know, or, or wouldn't move forward on a deal because he didn't have experience in self-storage. And he was trying to buy uh, facilities that need a little bit of a turnaround. And if, you know, and the lenders are going, well, you've got no experience turning around a, a self-storage facility, so we're not going to lend you the money. And he had to leverage his relationship with a private lender in order to make that deal happen. So uh, money on his uh, self-storage deal was a $675,000 purchase. And he had to come to the table with about 35% down. And that was all from uh, friends and family. So I don't know exactly how much of uh, Powell's own money he invested in the deal. You know, he was able to leverage his experience and, and uh, in order to get into that deal. And that's often what you can do with, with syndication. Time. He said he, he still has a W-2 job and he devotes about 15 to 20 hours a week on his self-storage endeavors. Location. Obviously, he lives in Los Angeles. He invests uh, all over the country and his storage deal is in Baton Rouge. So I think with the right team on the ground, the right boots on the ground, you can do this long distance. I just urge, you know, urge caution. You need to, it needs to be the right deal uh, and you need to have the right, the right team in place on the ground. Okay. Once again, that was Powell Chi uh, from multifamilymasters.com. We thank him for his time. I'm Neil Henderson. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, 
we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.